Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast that's designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today and tomorrow and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is www.thementalhealthgym.com. It's your source for information about positive psychology, our own brand that we call Goal Achieving Psychology, Rejuvenating, and all kinds of wellness-oriented things. We hope you'll visit frequently, correspond with us, and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As you know, our podcasts almost exclusively feature guests who lead their lives enthusiastically and have different and diverse ways of helping us to lead our lives with greater enthusiasm, with an emphasis on wellness, and maximizing our own self-image. Now, we've got a very special guest today who is going to really give us some news about a whole new area for this podcast, at any rate. and been looking forward to this for weeks. Dr. Steve Iacovelli is the owner and the principal of Top Dog Learning Group. I'm not <laughs> sure where Top Dog comes from. I'm not sure what a learning group is. He's got a very impressive background, but I think I'm going to let him tell you about it. So Steve, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's so great to have you with us. Thank you, Dr. Ron. Pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure, certainly. And Steve, you got a little different background than <laughs> some of the guests we've had. So why don't I let you tell us, first of all, what is Top Dog Learning Group and sure. how did it come about? What kind of a journey did you take to get there? Yeah, it's one of those business names that people are like, what on earth? You know, And I frequently get asked, oh, do you teach dogs? I said, only my own. Thank you very much. Top Dog Learning Group actually started in 2001, actually. I, at the time, was working at Disney. Um, I'm a former Disney cast member. I worked at the Disney Cruise Line at the time as an internal leadership consultant. And side note, that was a sweet gig. My business travel was going on cruise ships and hanging out with people all the time. It was pretty awesome. But my um, colleague, and actually one of my best friends and mentors, uh, Ruth Bond, approached me and said, we need to start a business. I said, we have jobs. And she said, no, no, no. Let's do this, this side thing. I think it'd be really fun. So we went to our senior leader in the human resources area where we worked. And we told her our idea. She's like, this is great. Don't use Disney stuff. Don't do it on Disney time. Have fun, friends. We're like, that's cool. So Ruth and I would do this part-time gig and just kind of let it go. But first stop was to figure out a name. And Ruth is originally born in the UK as this gorgeous British accent. And her last name is Bond. So there's like that whole thing. And we're like, well, Bond and Yacovelli and Associates. We're like, oh, we sound like a law firm. That's no fun. So we kind of worked on it. And at the time, I didn't even have a dog, but she was a big dog person. And so we played with that and we came up with Top Dog and Learning Group because we wanted to focus on human development as a way for humans to get better. So there's the learning part of it. And then group was meant to be flexible so that as we acquire friends, partners along the way, we can kind of pull them into the pack, so to speak. So that's kind of been the, the top dog learning group. So I've actually been doing it as my full-time gig since 2008. And that's pretty much my main focus. And we do learning and development, change management, diversity consulting. And we work primarily with Fortune 500s, large not-for-profits, some academia groups as well. So we kind of uh, cross the board in the gamut. And we do focus 
both North America, but as well as beyond. We have several global clients that we kind of play around with. So that sounds like you're kind of busy. <laughs> I'm wondering who calls on you? I mean, you know, there's lots of people who are in the, the leadership area and the consulting sure. area. I know you've got a great name in the field. What do you do that's different than others and <laughs> what makes you so good at what you do? Well, I think the name suggests something and this is our not so unconsciousness happening. You know, most of the other folks are a little bit more, you know, blah, 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 and associates kind of thing. We didn't pick the top dog name because it's slightly playful. And I think that that speaks volumes to how we approach the concepts of learning, change management, and diversity and inclusion. It's with the idea that people don't want to sit in a training class or an online session with some boring kind of stuff. And I think we've made a name of ourselves and a difference in approaching the seriousness of being a better leader, being a more inclusive organization, but with a bit of play and a kind of lightheartedness so that people can really take that more to their heart and apply that to their work self or their workplace. I know we're living in unusual times with the <laughs> yeah. coronavirus pandemic and so on, but typically, do you physically go to other places? Do you work remotely? Do you have a team? What what can people expect from you? So typically speaking, I have a team of top doggers, as I call them. See, there's a, our senior consultants. And they typically go to a client and do a lot of stand-up training or do some you know, consulting meetings or things pre-COVID world. We also do a lot of online training. My doctorate's actually in instructional technology and distance education. So the world of Zoom and webinars and self-paced learning is kind of what I studied. <laughs> so we also do that as well. And we've been doing that for years. So we've just really pulled back on the face-to-face on-site training and put the throttle forward for the virtual stuff. And so that's kind of where my team has been focusing their energies right now. And and clients are getting that. They're doing a good job. As of about like maybe three-ish weeks ago, it almost seemed like everyone woke up and said, oh my, this is kind of the new world. We need to figure this out. And so we're having calls with clients saying, hey, that keynote you were doing for us, can we do it virtually? Or that conference that we used to run for four days, can you help us turn it into something different? in this new world. And so that's really where we've been focusing a lot of our energies is helping our clients kind of adapt to this new world. And how does it seem to be working? Various degrees of adopting, adoption, I should say. Um, But folks are are being very open-minded. And I think that one of the things that's really interesting is at a time I was actually an IBM consultant and I did change management. That's kind of why that's part of our portfolio. And I focused a lot on humans adapting to times of change. And so we've been helping clients do a lot of that, you know, how to be resilient in this weird stuff. And depending on the client and their organizational culture, Success is a little bit different depending on where they started, but you know, people are working on it because they know this is the new normal. Yeah, and I think if people are open to change, I've mentioned it a couple of times. I know in, in our therapy practice where we're doing all telehealth at this point, and I'm not sure that when, when it's time to go back and the hospital is open and all that, not sure that we're not better off being able to see the person across the screen, yeah. see their entire face, then come in and both of us are wearing masks and sitting six feet apart. Yeah. I, I assume in your field too, there are probably some some real pluses that people may have serendipitously picked up during this time. Yeah, that's a great observation. And I've always been a glass half full kind of guy anyway. So the glass half full, the silver lining that I'm hopefully seeing is that, so when I first got my doctor, people were like, 
ew, online learning, gross. And so, and that, that's slightly evolved, but really not as much as, as I would hope it would be. Well, now, of course, things are flipped around. My, my K through 12 teacher friends, my college professor friends, they're all like, rats, we need that expertise that you have now. I'm like, yes. So there's this, this little bit of legitimacy that's happened, but I think that's going to stay in both the corporate and the, the educational world going forward. And I think that's a good thing. I think it makes learning a little bit more accessible. And, and we, as long as we design it well, we can overcome the physicality of the learning or education in the process. I suspect people will be coming around to this more and more. One of the things that sets you apart and that you mentioned is there's an emphasis on diversity inclusion. Yes. Where does that come from and uh, any special expertise in that area? Yeah, it's always been a part of my my personal and professional DNA for as long as I've been in the, the leadership world. And a year ago, I had finished writing technically my third book, but my first like real publisher book, if you will. And it's called Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ Community to be the King or Queen of the Jungle, or Leader to be the King or Queen of the Jungle. And as an out gay man, I've been living in my professional world my entire career. And one of the things I wanted to start to bring a, a spotlight to was leadership development specifically for my LGBTQ plus community. And I say plus because I lived in France and it just sounds better than plus, but it's the same thing. So that's been a really interesting focus. So I have the top dog brand doing kind of all the mainstream stuff. And then we have the sub brand of the gay leadership dude, which is kind of myself and what I branded it as, as a way to kind of uh, bring a voice to leadership within that specific community. And there's other minority folks who are doing it for the people of color and leadership, women and leadership, veterans and stuff. So it's just another kind of niche, if you will, that hasn't really been explored a whole lot. And I've been spending quite a bit of time in that, that arena. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But I have to admit, I could understand where somebody might be placing a greater emphasis on, say, followership, you know, how to be accepted and so on. But what's different about LGBTQ plus leadership as opposed to, you know, leadership in general? Yeah, it's funny because when we first launched the book, I was on a, a mainstream leadership podcast and, and the gentleman asked, he's like, so are you saying that gay, using the general term, leaders are better? I said, yes. I just left it there to see what he'd say. And he's like, really? I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've worked with plenty of awesome straight leaders, but the thesis or the hypothesis in my book is that as an LGBTQ plus person, collectively speaking and in broad terms, we've gone through some shared experience. You know, that's the definition of community. And so I argue in the book that those shared experiences of being the quote unquote other in this particular demographic actually have led you to be exposed to an opportunity to develop what I have personally seen as a leadership expert for 25 years in the mainstream world. So for example, I talk about the six, six competencies in my book are authenticity, courage, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture. And so those are the six areas I say, if you really focus on these, you're just going to be a, a leadership rock star. And so I take it and say, for example, authenticity. If you look at the Brene Browns of the world, some other really high profile leadership gurus, they're saying authentic leaders are more successful. Yes, of course they are. And so what I say to the, using the general term queer leader, is that you know, if you are out at work, if you are being your authentic self at work, that's powerful stuff in the grand scheme of leadership. Here's how you harness that and make sure that just propels you even further to be a more successful and effective leader. From a practical standpoint, are there a set of experiences that are unique to the gay community 
as opposed to, say, other minorities or women, which isn't a minority group. No, but, yeah. Uh, but, you know, are, are the experiences that you've had or that you're pointing out to others, is that specific to gay leadership or leadership in general? Yeah, no, it can be. So for example, you often hear that a member of the LGBTQ community is sometimes an invisible minority, meaning, you know, like I'm a white cisgendered, meaning my biological gender is the one that I identify with, gay dude. So the white dude part is what people tend to see first. And so what comes with that is whatever your experience of quote unquote whiteness is. And so it's not until I disclose, oh, by the way, I have a husband of 22 years that people may be like, oh, really? So that part of it is the nuance where if I'm a person of color, yep, kind of probably know for the most part, not always, that I'm a person of color. And so that's a slight nuance that's, that's a little bit unique to the LGBTQ community is that some folks choose to disclose their minority status or not. And so by doing so and having that disclosure, you know, that takes leadership courage. That takes authenticity to myself that I'm bringing to the table. That is really about me building relationships with those I'm sharing that authenticity with. And I think that's kind of the slight difference that you might have, especially as you relate to the workplace. Okay. And I'm wondering, what's the reception generally from from others. I know I'm old enough to have grown up at a time when a female boss was a rarity. When <laughs> right. An African-American in a position of leadership was, sure. was a rarity. and There was a broad range of how people reacted, whereas nowadays, in most cases, that's pretty well accepted. Has your community kind of advanced with it or in the general public's mind is there's there's still too much non-acceptance it's a really really fundamental and thoughtful question ron i think i hate to use the it depends kind of mentality but you know i've tended to work both as an external consultant as well as internal with larger organizations that one of their stated organizational values is we are inclusive and that's inclusive of all sorts of different folks and so now, is that the reality of some of those organizations? Meh, sometimes, sometimes not. But if it's not, then as an advocate for inclusivity for everyone, meaning I like people to have a fair shake at the table, they're having their voice heard, I can always revert to those organizational values and say, look, you're supposed to embrace everybody, but hey, XYZ leader, you're not. But the expectation is you should. So there's that conversation where some organizations in certain pockets of, of the country and the world don't even want to be inclusive. And I think that's where the nuance or opportunity is. And then this now gets back to the concept of courage. So if I'm a LGBTQ leader, and maybe I'm not out, but I see people not being inclusive, I have an opportunity to do something about that if I choose. And so what I talk about in Pride Leadership is that you should choose, because that makes the world more inclusive for everyone, not just our community. And what about somebody who's not a leader today, what is kind of recommended? In other words, I, I guess this would apply to lots of different things. In other words, if the job doesn't require that you be Catholic or Jewish or something mm -hmm. like this, you know, uh, I think people have a decision to make at various times. And, and if it seems relevant, they might, you know, state what their religion is. What is the goal to kind of, I don't want to use the term blend in, but is <laughs> the term to just kind of deal with it as, a, as an as-needed issue, or is it something that it's going to come up anyway? Why don't we take it right at the beginning? 
Yeah. And I personally feel, I talk about this in Pride Leadership, is that if you're going to be authentic, so it takes energy to be authentic. It also takes energy to not be authentic. So for example, for members of my community, if I'm not out and someone comes up to me and just like at any typical workplace, hey, how was your weekend? What did you do? Who did you do it with? Well, if I'm not an out employee, an out leader, now in my head, I'm starting to think through, oh, I got to get my story right. I got to watch my pronouns. You know, if I'm in a same-sex relationship, do I have to shift it to from he to she? Oh, if I use a name, is it is it a gender inclusive name like Chris or whatever? And so those are that conscious or unconsciousness that's happening in the background. Well, that takes mental energy. That takes leadership energy. And so if I'm putting it in there, that's not energy I'm putting toward my team, my workplace, for me to be a more inclusive and more effective leader. And so I am on the side of advocating that obviously everybody has their own context. They need to take it from a personal perspective. But I say, have the courage. And if you can, share your authentic self, because not only does that make you more effective and and you can channel that energy, that positive energy to your workplace success, but when people are unauthentic or inauthentic, people know. And so when you're working with that coworker and you know they're just kind of holding back, we as humans sense that. And so that starts to erode the trust factor that I may have with that individual. So I say, you know what, get it out on front, build that trust from that point forward and just kind of see what happens. That's wonderful advice. And I guess that leads me to the other side of the coin. As a straight person, what should my posture be, you know, to somebody who is, outed himself or herself and wants to maybe compete against me for the next promotion (laughs) or in general, even if that's not the case, is there a general set of principles we should keep in mind? Yeah. And it's a beautiful question because I've been actually thinking a lot more about this in the recent times with some of the racial divide that we have, have in our nation. And of course, well beyond, you know, there's a whole concept of allyship. And when you support another group that you're not necessarily demographically a part of, and allyship is a powerful, powerful place to be because you can lend a voice to a disenfranchised group that maybe others aren't listening to. And I've seen this a lot in my experience. I'm a white dude, but speaking on behalf of my people of color, they are more than than capable of speaking on behalf. But when I say something as a white dude, some people resonate differently with that. I've also seen this with some of the work I do with the the transgender community. And as a non-transgender person, as a cisgender person, which is what that means, I can share like, hey, they need to be listened to. We're disenfranchising them even further than folks in other areas. So allyship, the number one thing as an ally we can all do is just to listen and to maybe seek to understand the experience of that quote-unquote other person. And I think that's that's absolutely the starting point. And that starts from a truly heart-centered perspective. You want to know because you want to help. So it's saying things like, you know, tell me about your experience and how can I lend your voice to be heard maybe in areas that it's not being heard. It will be interesting to see. I mean, there, there are lots of possible outcomes to what's going on out on the streets nowadays, but there certainly is a segment of the population that I think have been more alerted to inclusiveness generally, and hopefully one of the outcomes will be that there will be a greater sense of that we are allies and that people of goodwill can pull together and help each other out. That is my hope as well. Along those lines, there's something I got to ask that's not the most important, but again, another thing that I'm old enough to remember is that 
I'm not even sure that this was the first, but I think the LGBT was, there might have been something even shorter first, but <laughs> then I heard about the LGBT community. It looks like every time I turn around, though, there's, you know, another initial added on and so sure. on. What's the proper way to refer to people <laughs> if I'm giving a presentation or whatever? Yeah, it's another great question because I think even folks within my community don't know. And that's kind of like the interesting part of all of this in this evolution. There was an Atlantic, Atlantic Magazine article about a year ago, and this gentleman advocates, he's like, I'm tired of the alphabet soup. And he was a member of the LGBTQ community and, and had this thought. And I think it, it was a very valid one. The whole reason why there's all these extra letters added is to be inclusive of all the sexual minorities that are out there. And so it was LGBT was kind of the first-ish iteration. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and then transgender was added, even though gender identity expression is different than sexual attractiveness and, and who you love, but it was kind of lumped together as what we call sexual minorities. And then the folks who now were identifying as what's called queer, Q could actually be either questioning or queer. It has a double meaning. So that's why you sometimes see two Qs. Sometimes it's just one Q. And so queer means I don't want to identify with anything. I'm just more like kind of in this different perspective. Questioning means, you know what? I haven't figured it out yet. So just give me space. And then there's other letters that were added on. So from my perspective, as an almost 50-something gay man, and in the book, I had to actually really think about this. You know, how do I want to capture this. One of my colleagues just calls it the rainbow family and is done with it, which I think is kind of cool. But we as a very large collective community haven't decided that that's the, the label as much as I'm not a big label fan. So I think if you do the LGBTQ+, you're in a safe space. And I think that's becoming the more acceptable. You know, Some people are adding extra letters on there. I've opted to include the Q but add the plus to it and make sure that I identify that my plus isn't meant to disenfranchise the other letters, whatever you, you identify with, but that's kind of the shorthand that I think works for now. That answer to question <laughs> nagging at me for, for quite a while. Ron, thank you for being mindful to ask the question. That's again, back to that allyship. So thank you. You helped me. So I'm glad I asked, <laughs> which I guess is one of the, the things that goes along with, with courage sometimes, you know, yeah. You don't know what ask. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, working with, with industry as you do, and are you optimistic? Is there greater acceptance? Is it a kind of a constant vigilant battle? Or what, what's your attitude as to, you know, what the landscape's going to look like a few years from now? Yeah, I'm optimistic. I think that at least from a, a corporate perspective, what I'm seeing is a, a greater inclusion of all. And if you even take a step back, when I first got into the whole diversity and inclusion kind of space, there's a business case for that. And so there's usually three reasons why an organization, especially a large organization, will start to embrace being inclusive. The law tells us we have to. So you have some of those hiring laws and things. That, so, so there's that, you know, the punitive part. There's the, it's the right thing to do. You know, we want everybody to feel included and that's a, a holistic way to approach things. That's awesome. But then there's also a business case on why you go to Target during June and you see rainbow pride things everywhere. Target's one of a very, very inclusive company, but you know, there's also quite frankly, business in that. And showing that I'm inclusive toward insert any population here goes and really resonates with that key demographic. And so people become brand loyal. And so the smart corporations have been figuring this out for quite a while that 
ooh, if I embrace you know these various populations, it's going to one, it feels good. Two, we're going to avoid any punitive badness. But three, there's business sense into that, and that's where I get kind of optimistic. I hate that sometimes the dollar is the way to push people toward behavior, but sometimes, hey, if the end result is people are more inclusive, then at least there's that. Now, that's corporate organizational kind of behavior. I think from a broader perspective, it's changing, especially if you just, you know, if I just focus from a LGBTQ perspective, it's definitely changing, but there's still a big opportunity to go. I mean, we look at the people of color and it's the situation happening currently as we're recording this, there's a lot of opportunity to dismantle all of that kind of otherness. But I, again, glass half full kind of guy, I'm fairly optimistic that as we move forward and embrace being inclusive, things are going to change. I do have to ask the other side of the coin is both from your perspective and from mine, when you run into bias, assuming that it's not illegal or something that, that sure. you know, where you can summon the law or whatever, but what is the, the posture for both as a gay person and a straight person? I remember, again, many, probably not many enough years ago, but I remember instances where if I heard a, a particular joke about any of a number of minorities, I thought I was really being pretty you know, advanced by not repeating the joke and yeah, right, not right. laughing, but not saying anything. So right. I guess I'm wondering both, if you are mistreated, again, not physically abused or mm-hmm. sure. something like that, as a gay person, what's the appropriate reaction as a straight person when I see injustice done? Yeah, oh, I love that question. So I actually talk about it quite a bit in my book. So silent collusion is the concept of not standing up when something derogatory is said. So I, I use an example in my book and in, in a lot of my workshops, I was at a, actually at a client site and it was like the closing project meeting and there was like you know, 40 people in the conference room. Myself and one of my top doggers were there. The rest was the client. At the very end of the table was the senior executive who literally wrote the checks that he gave to us. So it was kind of cool. And just as the comments are dying down, you hear the senior executive who's male and that's important to the story. You hear him say, well, you know how all women drive. And everyone just kind of stopped and looked at him like, what the serious heck did he just say? But no one said a word. And at that particular moment in time, every single person in the room was engaging in what we call silent collusion, meaning we weren't standing up for, in this case, women's equality and and all that good stuff at this gross wrong stereotype because all stereotypes are wrong. So what I talk about in the book is six ways you can combat silent collusion in the workplace, not just to make things more inclusive, but that actually makes you a better and more effective leader. And so it's things like, you know, just asking a question to, in this case, we'll say his name was Bob. You know, so Bob, what exactly did you mean by that? And, and so in the book, I talk about Bob could be operating from an unconscious bias toward women. And that's where that comment came out. And, oh, I was only kidding. Well, you know, it's still especially to the women and others in the room, was a ding. It's what's called a microaggression or microinequity. Those types of ways, the worst thing any leader can do when those types of injustices or or microaggressions are, are done is to stay silent because you do two things. One, you allow it to perpetuate. And then two, people can look at you and say, oh, well, you didn't say anything. And so in the book, I teach about six ways you can do that. One, and this is what happened in the real life. I'm about to say something. My top dog, Lori, kicks me on the table and she's like, wait. And Flash forward, the reason she told me to wait was this isn't our corporate culture and we were leaving. She wanted to see what they did. And so just as it would seem like 20 
25 minutes go by, but it wasn't, it was just a few moments. There was a young gentleman sitting on the side who just joined the project team. I think he was, he just like joined the company, fairly new grad or something like that, a younger gentleman. And he just folds his arms and he went, damn. And it sent this verbal but non-word message that he did not agree with it. And it kind of set the floodgates. People like, yeah, Bob, what did you mean by that? And, and so it was, it was a really nice way for it to, to have happened. So that's one of the strategies we talk about. But there's several things you can do, but the worst thing to do is to say nothing. Okay, thank you. That's real helpful. As usual, whenever we have an interesting guest, uh, <laughs> we run out of time before we run out of uh, all the questions, but there are a couple of things I do want to get to. Number one, you referred to the book a number of times, and mm-hmm. I think you said this is your third one. Yes. So maybe you can uh, kind of give us the short course on each of your books and why somebody may may be interested in one. Yeah. So the first book was my dissertation. So I encourage no one to go get it. It's not really fun reading. But once in a while, I get a royalty check for like 20 cents. And I'm like, mom, did you buy my book again? She's like, no, I didn't. So don't get that one. But it's out there on Amazon if you you so find my name. The second book, which I just, I did like the first self-publishing thing just to see what would happen. And it was called Overcoming Poopy E-Learning. And it was based upon my research while I was getting my doctorate on what I saw as the reaction to people when I said, oh, my doctorate's in instructional technology and distance ed. What's that? E-learning. Ew. And so I wanted to understand why people said the ew when it came to online learning. And so that was kind of the quest for that book is to understand what was the reaction and and really comes down to back in the day, this is many years ago, people had no idea how to create good online content. And so this was my book to say, to try to rectify that, to overcome the poopy e-learning. So it's out there. I haven't done a lot with it in the past, to be very frank. I focus more on a lot of article writing and doing uh, presenting on various topics like on unconscious bias. So if you Google Yacavelli, there's not many of us out there. So you'll, you'll see a lot of, lot of stuff that I've written. And then Pride Leadership is the latest book that just came out last year. And if you go to steveonamazon.com, it'll redirect you to the Amazon site. And the fun thing is the audiobook comes out probably next week. So I'm super excited about that just because I'm understanding how people consume books. And that is such a different way now than, of course, you know, 10 years ago and, or, or such. So I'm excited for that to kind of come out and have people hear my really awesome bad dad jokes with me saying them actually in the book. So You're braver than I am. I had somebody else uh, do the <laughs> audio version for my book. Yeah. And I was going back and forth on that, but I thought if I have a whole chapter on authenticity and I have somebody else doing my voice, that's not very authentic. So, and during this, this COVID time, I actually recorded the book in my walk-in closet because it was the quietest place with a dog bed over my head to muffle any outside sounds. But it's just ironic that I spent 60 plus hours in the closet reading my gay leadership book. So there's, there's an anecdote in there somewhere. Another thing I do like to generally ask our guests, again, we've been fortunate to have, despite the nature of my book, have quite a broad age range Mm -hmm. in terms of listeners, but we do get quite a number of older adults who came to the podcast via my book and wondering about any general advice that you have for people who may be looking toward retirement, maybe retiring, maybe... uh, dealing with transitioning leadership, anything that may be specific to that age group that we haven't dealt with, whether, again, whether we're talking diversity or generally. Sure. Oh, in general. Yeah. So one of the things that I actually talk about in my book, but I think it's very appropriate for your audience is 
find the way to do two things. One is in the IBM world, we called it knowledge transfer. So you have spent the greater part of your career acquiring all this incredibly awesome knowledge. And is there a way, whether it's formal in your organization or you do it yourself, that you can start to transfer that knowledge to others? which kind of leads me to the second idea, and that's become a mentor to someone. And I think those two ideas are really tied gorgeously together. But I'm so appreciative of the knowledge and expertise and perspective that folks who I work with, either as a client or who are part of my top dog team, can bring to the table that's a different perspective than I have. And I think, again, as we embrace diversity, your life experience and and your chronological age are beautiful things to lend a different lens to the conversation. What's the ownership that we can take to share that knowledge with someone and then to be that mentor for those who, who could benefit from that expertise? Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Easy to see why you call it Top Dog Learning Group now. (laughs) I've learned a lot. It's been absolutely fantastic. I'm sure that you've got more to offer. So I'm wondering if people want to get in touch with you or find out if you have any other products or whatever. How do they find you? The books are on Amazon. Yeah, the books on Amazon. Actually, the one-stop shop that you can do is to go to topdoglearning, all one word, dot biz, B-I-Z. It'll send you to our, our main homepage and you can see all sorts of junk on there. And then there's a form that you can say, hey, Steve, I want to have a chat and it'll connect me and we can go from there. But that's probably the best way or Google Yacovelli, Y-A-C-O-V-E-L-L-I and you'll either get me or what used to be Yacovelli's Italian restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri, which since has closed and they were some relative that I do not know. But you know, those are the two. And then I believe there's, I hate to be stereotypical, but there was some sort of mob thing that happened with my last name eons ago. So those are the top three, three searches you'll find. <laughs> Okay, it's great to know. Hopefully after this podcast, people will get to the right one. Exactly, Uh, let's hope. (laughs) And if I'm not mistaken, as we draw to a close, this is being recorded in June, which I believe is Gay Pride Month. You are correct, sir. So we're going to try and get it up and go live sometime during June. Again, it's been absolutely enlightening. It's been absolutely, you know, fantastic speaking with you. I can't promise I won't be call upon you again (laughs) but let me absorb all this information first it's i learned a whole lot new it's been great thanks very much steve and you know have a really successful rest of the career just as you've been successful so far stay safe during this pandemic and everything else that's happening in the world and let's hope that people of goodwill will pull together and make this an ever better world excellent Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dr. Ron. Well, the pleasure's been ours. This has been Dr. Ron Kaiser. This has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, the podcast that's designed to help you live your life enthusiastically. And Steve has been so great to give us all kinds of clues, no matter what your sexual orientation is, what your age is, and so on, how to lead your life enthusiastically. Once again, my website is www.thementalhealthgym.com. Visit frequently. Hope you'll listen to all the podcasts, download them, rate them, review, and so on. And be back when we have our next one next week. Take care, everybody. Stay safe and remember to be inclusive. Inclusive.